The message on prayer comes to us today from both the Old and the New Testament. I'll begin with the New Testament. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. But your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, 20 through 40. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together to Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If it is Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, and left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many. And a call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And soon at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's your God. Either he's musing himself, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and he just needs to be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves as their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the ovulation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then... Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as could hold two sheaths of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. 
And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of ovulation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water out of the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. This is the blessed word from our Lord. Well, for the past uh, several weeks, our series has been on who God is and what God has uh, uh, in his essential characteristics. We've looked at the reality of these characteristics that uh, only God possesses. Uh, For example, God is omnipotent. He has all power. God is all wise. He knows all things and is able uh, to solve all problems. God alone is love. That cannot be used to describe any other person in their essential nature, their essential character. God alone is love. Um, God is omnipresent. His presence here does not diminish his presence there. He is able to be in all places in equal uh, force and equal presence. Uh, And now today we begin a series on what it looks like to pray to that God. Uh, The series is called When You Pray, quoted directly from Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I must say to you this morning that it is such an honor for me to preach from the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, uh, that has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. I have the privilege this morning of preaching from Jesus on Sermon. Uh, It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and this morning we will be looking at a few verses in Matthew 6 and then over in the Old Testament. Also, uh, I must say to you that this sermon series comes out of a work that God has been doing in my own life in the last, uh, I would say, four months In the last four months, my own personal prayer life, and I know this is a mouthful, uh, and this isn't hyperbole, this is the truth, my own personal prayer life has grown more in the last four months than in all of my years of knowing the Lord combined. I have grown more in praying in the last four months than in all the years combined, and so... uh, 
This is why this series is coming uh, so that I can share with you really out of the overflow of my own heart. Now, in this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talks about three things, three righteous acts that ought to be done in secret. Uh, Give your money in secret, pray in secret, fast in secret. And so someone has said that the secret of righteousness is righteousness in secret. And I've taken that quote to adapt it for our purposes today to say that the secret of prayer is prayer in secret. The secret of prayer is prayer in secret. What does Jesus mean by secret prayer? Because he talks about it along with beforehand secret giving and following secret fasting. Two realities of secret prayer. First of all, secret prayer seeks God's presence, not others' applause. Seeks God's presence, not others' applause. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So who are the hypocrites? Well, the word in the Greek uh, refers to those who wore masks. They were in plays, and in a play, in a Greek play, one actor would put on a mask, play a role, uh, go backstage, remove the mask, put on another mask, play another role, and in one given play, this one actor may play five, six, seven roles, wear five, six, seven different masks. And so the word hypocrite literally means one who wears a mask. What that means is that you never knew who the guy was going to be. He was whoever uh, the scene required. And so hypocrites today are, are people who wear one mask at church and another mask at work and another mask at school and another mask at home. And when people are around you, they really never quite know who they're going to get. That's the definition of a hypocrite, one who wears a mask. Uh, Well, what mask are they wearing? It is the mask of, I love to pray in public mask. That's the mask. Look at this, for they love, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Now, we use this word the same way. Uh, Some of you may say, I love to fish. I love to go fishing. Others of you, uh, I love to play basketball. Uh, others of you, I'd never have in my life understood this, say, I love to play golf. That makes no sense to me. But some people love to go golfing, right? So you say that. So what Jesus is referring to is not as shame pray today. This doesn't mean there should be no public praying, but he's referring to people who love to pray in public. So how might this work? Well, in the synagogue worship, there was an ark and the public prayer stood in front of the ark and it had become really quite an art. 
And so the person would pray and often well up into amazing tones and everybody uh, might lean in to hear how he's praying and uh, he might be trying to one-up the guy who prayed the week before this friendly, perhaps unfriendly competition had unfolded. And Jesus is saying that's hypocritical. They would also pray on the street corners during feast or fast. Either one, they would uh, blow the trumpet. When they blew the trumpet, everybody stopped and uh, you prayed right where you were. And these folks would stop and pray really loud. Maybe they gather an audience on the street. Secret prayer seeks God's presence, not others. Applause, Jesus says they have received their reward. All right, so this tells us a couple of things. There's a temporary reward. There's an eternal reward. This tells us that if you do, if it's giving, if it's praying, or if it's fasting, and you do it for the applause of others, well, enjoy that. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. We get it either or here. You either get the reward of God or you get the reward of others. You don't get both. Is what Jesus is saying. What else it says to us is that God is a rewarding God. He loves to reward your righteous deeds. He loves to reward your praying. So don't be like the hypocrites, but you that use emphatic go into your room. Now, what was this room? The the very word used to describe this room uh, implies a secret room at the center of the house. It wasn't a fancy room, most likely used for storage. So we'd say, and some translations render it, closet. Just go to a private closet. Go into your room where nobody on the street can hear you, where no one else in the house can hear you, get alone to pray. Now, Jesus could say this because he did it. When did he do it? Look at Luke five fifteen through 16. It'll be on the screen. But now even more, the report about him, Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he will withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke six twelve through 13, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. It's fascinating that the night before Jesus chose the disciples, he, he wasn't having a strategy session. He was praying. Alone, all night, in this service are many singles. Most of our singles attend this service. Can I say something to you? As you anticipate who your husband or who your wife is going to be, I I would say there is no better thing to do than to have a secret place to pray. Than to spend so much time in prayer that when God brings him, when God brings her, it's obvious it's obvious to you. You know this is God speaking. Luke nine twenty eight. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. To pray. Not only just 
Jesus point out the place of prayer, but he points out the person to whom they're praying. And this is really not counter-cultural or intuitive to us, but it was to them. He says, and pray to your Father. All right, so if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament doesn't talk much about praying to your Father. It is Jesus in the New Testament who brings this idea into uh, full view for them. What does he mean? Paul in Romans 8 writes about this. I don't want you to miss this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, so when you were born physically, you weren't smart enough to understand what was going on. All right, none of you is that smart. Likewise, when you were born again spiritually, you at the moment of your spiritual birth, when you came into the family of God, you did not fully understand what was happening to you. And so you spend the rest of your life learning more about the implications of the new birth of Christ and the implications of being born again into the family of God. And here is one of them for you. Here is one of those implications. When you were born again, God sent his spirit into your life to kick out a spirit, little s, that ruled in your life. And the spirit with the little s that ruled in your life was a spirit of slavery. And that attitude, so if the word spirit is spooky to you with a little s, let me just replace it with the word attitude, an attitude of slavery. You see, before Christ, you had a habit of habits. You have bad habits. Even if you were young, your parents tried to break you of bad habits. And when you're little, those habits aren't that damaging. But when you become older, you can pick up some really bad habits that end up making you a slave to those habits. And when they do, you become words that we describe in our culture like alcoholic or drug addict or workaholic or whatever it may be, you become an addict. But when you were born again, the spirit of adoption, capital S, came to live in you to drive out the spirit, little s, of slavery to those things. So what does he do? He gives you this inward desire that you did not have before. And that inward desire, this is what wages war within you and causes you to cry out to God as your father. You call him father. And there is a desire that you did not have before that is a family desire. And God is your father. It's the spirit of adoption as sons. Uh, I love what uh, Gutzwiller has said. So if God rewards secret praying, what is the reward? God himself is the reward of Christians. When you pray, you get to hang out with God. You get to spend time alone with the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, 
loving, holy creator of the universe. You get God. John Fountain is a professor of journalism at the University of Illinois. Used to work for the New York Times. This was a few years ago, NPR, not known at all for anything that espouses Christian beliefs, did a series called This I Believe. And Dr. Fountain was on that series. I want to read to you what he said. He said, I believe in God, not that cosmic, intangible spirit in the sky that mama told me about as a little boy, but the God who embraced me when daddy disappeared from our lives, from my life at age four, the night police led him down the stairs away from our front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath inside our freezing apartment when the gas was disconnected in the dead of another wind-whipped Chicago winter and there was no food, little hope, and no hot water. The God who held my hand when I witnessed boys in my hood swallowed by the elements, by death, and by hopelessness who claimed me when I felt like no man's son amid the absence of any man to wrap his arms around me and tell me everything's going to be okay to speak proudly to me to call me son. I believe in God, God the Father, embodied in his son Jesus Christ, the God who allowed me to feel his presence whether by the warmth that filled my belly like hot chocolate on a cold afternoon or that voice whenever I found myself in the tempest of life's storms telling me even when I was told I was nothing that I was something that I was his and that even amid the desertion of the man who gave me his name and DNA and little else I might find in him sustenance I believe in God the God who I have come to know as father as Abba as daddy it wasn't until many years later standing over my father's grave he says for a conversation long overdue my tears flowed I told my dad about the man I had become I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence, I have found another. Or that he, God the Father, God my Father, have found me. Secret prayer seeks God's presence, not others' applause. Secondly, secret prayer relies on God's power, not your ability. Secret prayer relies on God's power, not your ability. Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. 
to heap up empty phrases is to babble. The pagans thought that if they could say all the names of their gods, that perhaps one of those names would trigger something and their God would answer them in the babbling of their prayer. So prayer was a chant. It was an opportunity to appeal to their gods, hoping that by the virtue of their appeal, their gods would answer. And Jesus says, that's not how you pray. If there's ever been an example of this, it's Elijah and it is the prophets of Baal. Ahab is a wicked king. He's married to a wicked queen. Her name is Jezebel. Jezebel and Ahab. They're a wicked duo, and so they're out to destroy Elijah. So they call a meeting of all of these prophets, 450 of them to one. You've got 450 Baal-worshiping prophets and one God-worshiping prophet. And so Elijah shows up and says, well, why are you continuing to limp between two different opinions? Quit straddling the fence, in other words. Choose whom you're going to to worship. And so he proposes something that I would say to you, don't do unless you know for sure God has told you to do it. This is a major test. Your faith better be super high. What does he say? He says, this is what you do. Let's build an altar. You build one. Then I'll build one. And on that altar, take a bull, slaughter the bull, cut it up in pieces. And then you call on your gods and ask your gods to bring fire down, consume the the, the bull, the pieces of the bull from the offering. And then I'll do the same. And whichever God answers by fire, well, he's God. Wow. Wow. So that's what happens. They take the bull and they prepare it and call up the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they lived around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. This is hilarious. Like you've got to listen to what he said to them. Cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing, so he's a stand-up comedian, he's making fun of them, or he had to go to the bathroom. That's what he's saying here. He's relieving himself, right? He's on the toilet. Or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he's watching golf on a Sunday afternoon. He's fallen asleep. You need to wake him up. He's nowhere to be found. And so they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood is gushing out on the altar. Noon passed. They raved on until the time of the offering. There was no voice. No one answered. Look at this. No one paid attention. I want to pause here and I want to say something. Please hear me. It really is an aside, but it is so true. I've seen people and I myself at times in my life have worshipped something other than God. Work. Success. Family. Marriage children, 
Oh, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? I've spent hours and hours counseling people who are addicted to various substances or to pornography or to uh, uh, different ideas or even thoughts of the way things ought to be. But when the chips are down and when life is hard, they don't pay attention to you. Alcohol has a deaf ear to a hurting heart. Marijuana has a deaf ear to a hurting mind. You can work 70 hours a week and get every promotion possible. You can amass a lot of money. But when your life begins to unravel... It won't pay attention. Those things don't answer. They are gods without ears and gods without mouths. I've talked to more than one single person who felt, well, he's going to be the answer. She's going to be the answer. And I would just say to you singles, I love you so much. Just go talk to my wife. I'm not the answer. I've not solved all her problems. She does not bow down and worship me, and if she did, she would be sorely disappointed. I cannot be that. Neither can our children. No one answered. No one paid attention. Well, it's Elijah's turn. He came near. Listen to his prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Do you know what I love about Elijah's prayer? It recognizes God for who he is and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. This is not a long prayer, is it? It's a relatively short prayer. All right, so what does this touch on? Do you know what the number one reason is that you do not pray? You say, I don't have enough what? Time. This took about 30 seconds. I've heard many a sermon on prayer, and they quote the guys like Luther and Calvin who got up at 2 in the morning, prayed till 4, you know, uh, ate a bite and prayed till 6. I leave there thinking, well, I can't do that, so I, I just am not going to pray. I dare say if we didn't have electricity, we'd probably pray more than we do now, right? There's nothing else to do. But my point is this that Elijah proves it doesn't take six or eight hours to get God's attention. It's just a simple prayer offered in faith to an awesome God. Maybe Ecclesiastes 5 will surprise you. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. 
Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be what? Few. Let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. All right, so this may catch you by surprise. And, and, and later in this series, I'll preach on persevering in prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about how some of you and how I did for years come to your prayer time. And it is about maybe 10% listening and 90% you're talking. And so when you come in stressed, you end up leaving stressed because all you've done is recite everything that stresses you in your prayer life. And when you come in afraid, you leave afraid because all you've done is to pray fear out loud for however long it is that you prayed. When you come in worried, you leave worried. Why? Because you're praying. It's just you and you're not listening to God. But the writer of Ecclesiastes says, guard your steps, draw near to listen. That's better than drawing near to talk. Why? Because God is up there and you're down here. Well, what does that mean? He sees what you can't see. He knows what you don't know. He has a perspective that you and I don't possess. So if he sees what I cannot see, and if he knows what I cannot know, doesn't it make sense that I ought to listen to somebody who knows more than I know, who sees more than I see? makes sense, doesn't it? But for some reason, I confess to you this morning that I've spent so much of my prayer life telling God what I think he needs to know. How ridiculous is that? Right? How absurd. Who am I to sit down and say, God, this is what I think you need to know about my circumstances as if God doesn't already know all of my circumstances. If somebody said to me, I'll give you a meeting with Tim Keller, pastor in New York City. I love his books. I, I love his books. I, I, I love to listen to him preach. I'll give you 30 minutes with Keller. Do you know what I do? I would prepare me a couple of questions. And then I would go and to New York City and I would sit in his office and I would say, my name is Jerry Lewis. And that's all he'd need to know. Right? Because I don't need to tell him anything about my world. I just want to hear from him. And I have a couple of questions. And I'd sit with notes in hand and listen. Pastor H.B. Charles, he pastors a large church in Jacksonville, Florida. African-American pastor. He, He tells the story of a woman who comes to his church and she would come in and she would pray the same prayer again and again and again. And her prayer was, oh Lord, thank you, Jesus. She prayed it so much that the kids began to laugh when they would hear her pray. And so uh, Dr. Charles said, I went to meet, I went to ask her, why is it that you pray this same prayer again and again? And I'll read her words to him. She said, well, I'm just combining the two prayers that I know. We live in a bad neighborhood, and some nights there are bullets flying, and I have to grab my daughter and hide on the floor. And in that desperate state, all I know how to cry out is, Oh, Lord. But when I wake up in the morning and see that we're okay, I say, Thank you, Jesus. She says, When I got to take my baby to the bus stop, and she gets on that bus, and I don't know what's going to happen to her while she's away, I cry, Oh, Lord. 
And when 3 p.m. comes and that bus arrives and my baby's safe, I say, thank you, Jesus. She said, those are the only two prayers I know. And when I get to church, God has been so good, I just put my two prayers together. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Jesus in verse 8 says, Do not be like them, the Gentiles, who babble, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, so I have a question for you that ought to be coming to your mind right now. If your Father knows what you need before you ask him, why bother praying? Why pray? If he already knows what you need, why pray? Well, a few months ago, what happened is Jeff Dominguez, who was in the early service, Jeff brought me a book. It's this one I hold in my hands called Pray in the Bible by Don Whitney. It's a tiny little book. And Jeff said, Jerry, this is really good. He wrote me a note inside. He, he said, this is really transforming my prayer life. So I said, okay. And I began to read it. And sure enough, what I discovered is that my prayer life has been a lot of my ideas and thoughts and a little of God's. And what Don Whitney says to do in this book is to pray Scripture. Pray God's Word. You say, well, how does that look? Let me just uh, give you quickly an example from this week. Psalm 3. This was one morning. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Well, I don't have that many enemies, I don't think. If I do, I don't know about it. I like it better that way. But I have three enemies that you have too. Every one of you. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a war zone. You have three enemies. Satan, the obvious one. Your sinful nature, the desires in you that never go away. The second one, and the world system all around us that now invades our world through media, our personal lives through media. These are the three enemies that you and I have. So when I pray in the Psalms and I see talk about enemies, that's what I think about immediately. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes, my enemies? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The world says, Jerry, there is no salvation for you in God. Hope in work. Hope in success. My sinful nature says, trust in this. Trust in that. Satan joins in the chorus of the enemies trying to shout in this world to me. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So I'm praying Psalm 3 and I go, oh, Lord, those enemies, they're loud. I've heard them just this week. 
I've heard them say this to me and say that to me, but you are a shield about me. You are my glory, Lord. You're my claim to fame. You are it, Lord. You are the lifter of my head. I cry aloud to you, Lord, and you answer me from your holy hill. And so uh, all of a sudden, I am uh, vertically focused on the Lord. And whatever problems I have, I bring to him. I bring to him. And then I, I pray for you. I do because in any given week I have multiple meetings with hurting people. I receive texts from people whose hearts are breaking. And I say, oh Lord, be a shield about Susan Tripp whose mother died this week. Be her glory. Be the lifter of her head. And then I'll think of of Mary who sits in this service when Mary was in the throes of fighting her cancer. Oh, Lord, be a shield about Mary. Be her glory. Lift up her head today. I still pray for people in needs, but they don't dominate my conversation. It's God's word. It's unbelievable. Verse 5, I I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. How I pray through that, pray through that is it's early morning when I pray. And and I remember saying, Lord, I slept last night and I have no clue what happened while I was asleep. And if I could trust you in my sleep, help me to trust you in my waking hours today. If I can trust you on my bed, help me to trust you in my office. Help me to trust you as I rear my, uh, my son and, and father my daughter and love my wife. Help me to trust you now. And that's how I pray. Arise, O oh Lord, save me, O oh my God. And that just reminds me, God, I, I didn't save myself years ago. I certainly can't save myself now. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked and no lie when I get to that part like I have to be quiet everybody's asleep in my house but I want to stand up and and just drop kick and pretend I'm drop kicking Satan right in the teeth like Jesus did on the cross and when he resurrected because that is exactly what happened salvation belongs to the Lord your blessing be on your people and I'll say Lord you know my salvation is yours and I wouldn't have it if you hadn't given it to me and because of that I'm so blessed I am so blessed this has been happening for about four months I can't wait to get up in the morning I mean, 8 o'clock coffee has something to do with that. No lie. I like the coffee, but I can't wait to see God. I mean that. I, I don't mean I can't wait to tell him all my woes. I can't wait to meet him. Do you know what I found? He has yet to disappoint me. on Monday he may reveal himself through praying his word in this way I'm like, oh. and on Tuesday so, so Monday maybe it's more peace on Tuesday maybe it's more power it, it's, it's whatever his word reveals and I'm praying through that day I, 
I can't wait to meet with him. So, Jerry, what should I do? Two things. Number one, find your secret place. The secret of prayer is prayer in secret. Find your secret place. Secondly, pray God's word. Pray his word. I'm told that we sold out of all of these we had in the early service. So we'll order a big stack of these and have these available. I so recommend this book. Don Whitney, professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville. Great writer. Tiny book. Not hard to get. Not even hard to implement. Let me pray for us. Father, I love these people. I really do. I cannot describe to you what you've done in my heart for them as their shepherd. I love how you bring different ones of them to my mind in those morning times and how because I'm directed toward you that I don't leave way down. that I don't leave burdened because some of them are carrying really heavy burdens. I love how I'm seeing who you are in ways I've never known you to be. And God, the whole point of this series is so they will too. So I pray for them that maybe this evening or in the morning if they're a high school kid or middle school kid or a single person married adult perhaps a widow or a widower that they will find their secret place open their Bible to the Psalms and pray secondly There may be some in this room who need to pray the prayer they'll have to pray before any other prayer will make sense to you, God. That prayer of be merciful to me, a sinner. That prayer that says, I believe, God, you sent Jesus to die for my sins, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming again. And today I trust you with me. I trust all of me with all of you. If that person is in this room, may they begin their prayer life with that prayer until they pray that prayer. There is no other prayer you will hear from them. May they pray that prayer and begin it brand new life with you Christ Jesus I pray this in your name and your word tells us that when we don't know what to pray that you intercede for us seated at the right hand of the Father making our case in your name I pray 
Amen.